So Money Episode 991, Shanna Goodman, brand strategist and founder of Amped. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. In my corporate role, I felt like I needed to um, have an MBA to be able to move myself forward. But the, the gaps that I was seeing looked like gaps I could fill with online resources. That's right. Maybe you don't have to spend six figures to get an MBA. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is living proof of it. Shanna Goodman is the president and founder of Ampersand Business Solutions, or AMPT for short. She comes from a long line of entrepreneurs, has spent over 15 years in corporate as a brand strategist and business development executive. Like many of you listening, thought, I need to get ahead in my career, get a leg up, naturally turned to the MBA process and discovered mm, there might be a more affordable, more valuable way to get it done. Shanna and I talk about her business, how she helps small business make a large impact, grow their businesses with few resources and small budgets. She's got a freebie for all of us who are interested in taking our work, our businesses to the next level. Here we go. Here is Shanna Goodman. Shanna Goodman, welcome to So Money. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. I'm happy to be here. You are the creator of Amped, which helps small businesses build major brands. Your background is brand development, brand strategy. You're a mom, you're an entrepreneur. And so I wanted to bring you on the show, given that it's also the new year. A lot of us are making big plans for 2020 and we have big visions. And I feel like you're somebody who can help us kind of rein it all in and give us some concrete steps and directions. If we are that person who's listening and thinking, I want this to be the year where I either take my business to the next level or I start that business once and for all, or I'm overwhelmed. And I want to hear from Shanna about how to kind of streamline my life a little bit more, like more some personal stuff and everything in between. I want to obviously ask some money questions too, but let's start with Amped. This is a business that I understand you started after 15 years of working in corporate and it begs the question, why did you leave? You seem to have been very successful working in business development for others. I, I, I suspect it may have something to do with your history, your background of coming from an entrepreneurial family. Yes. So I come from a long line of entrepreneurs, my mom and dad, both sets of grandparents, as well as all the grandparents as far back as, as we know, um, have all made their living in an entrepreneurial way. The thing is, is that the reason that I left the ranch that I grew up on and the reason that I left the corporate world was because I was scared because I felt like nobody could take care of me like I could take care of me or that nobody cared a much, as much about my survival as I did. And I say that because we grew up super, super poor um, on this ranch, which, you know, it's a great story. It's a cool story. But Oftentimes, the month ran out before the money. My mom would go grocery shopping once a month and 
buy groceries. And then however long those groceries lasted, they lasted. So what that meant was the first week we might have apples. We maybe, maybe would have grapes. No fresh vegetables or anything like that because they expired too quickly. But towards the end of the month, my brothers and I would eat raw potatoes with salt and pepper and pretend like Jello was fun dip. And so it was these times that made me feel like, okay, I've got to get out of here. I love that my parents are pursuing their dream, but I have to go pursue my dream. And in that security, I'm like, I've got to take care of myself. And so I didn't quite know how to do that, but I looked toward the corporate world because it looked like people had their shit together over there. And once I was in it, I realized that people didn't. I saw a lot of chaos. I saw a lot of jockeying for positioning. I saw a lot of insecurity that made me feel like, you know, I, I can't trust these people with my future. I can't trust these people to, um, to notice or recognize when I'm doing good work and for them to give me a promotion. I can't, I can't trust these people to, um, you know, give me the opportunities that I feel like I could deserve because I'm a hard worker and, and all these different things. Basically it came down to, I couldn't trust them and I felt like I could trust myself more. Wow. That story of you and your brother with the potatoes. I mean, that's, uh, that's intense and that's really taking us there. So I appreciate you opening up to us so much. And so fast forward a little bit, as you were working in corporate many years, successful transitioning to running your own business, I would suspect takes a bit of strategy and time and money. So tell us a little bit about kind of the beginnings of how you made that work. I, I worked from nine to five. I told myself whatever I had to do, I had to did, get it done between nine and five because I didn't want to be, you know, dragon lady to my parent or to my kids and to my my husband. And I knew that I would be if I allowed myself to work 24/7 because I was in that survival mode, right? Um so I put those parameters on myself and and I made it work. I made a business work. I made six figures the first year and it's only gone up from there. And so what this story looks like for me is that I bet on myself in different aspects of my life, and I feel like that's something that we all have to do, but we have to figure out what that bet is. So that's what I help other small business owners or just other people do, is figure out what their unreasonable advantage in the marketplace is, and then how they can present that to the world. I assume if you're Kellogg's or Coca-Cola, you are working with big budgets. And when you're working with smaller businesses, what, what's the minimal budget to really try to make a change or make an impact uh, to improve your business as far as the kind of goals that they're coming to you with? Whether that's like, I want to increase revenue, I want to have more of a impact. You're working more closely with clients, but the budgets are smaller. So how do you reconcile? Right. The budget's are often a challenge in small business, which I kind of feel like is more fun. Mm -hmm. um, just because you have to think creatively, you have to be resourceful, you really have to dive into the nitty gritty of what do you have available to you? And what can you you know, what can you leverage? And it's with small business, it's more of a, a guerrilla approach, I guess, kind of guerrilla marketing approach, in a lot of ways, 
that with the big budgets, it's super exciting. It's glamorous. It's fun to be on these big video shoots and photo shoots. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have people that are in really segmented roles. You know, they they might focus specifically on a, a specific platform or a specific type of their integrated marketing. That person's not really seeing much above their cubicle. Tell me about what typically small businesses come to you asking for help with? Because there's a lot in between coming to you and then becoming sort of like a multi-million dollar brand, right? There's a lot of different steps in between. And I assume that everyone's got a different path, but I, where do people often, where do they go wrong in their thinking initially? Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes I see is new business owners and not even new business owners, any sort of business owners, not taking the time to ask their customers questions, asking them what's working, what's not, what do we do that blows you away? I think leveraging a lot of the, you know, the customer interactions, perceiving it as market research is something that I see very few small businesses do. And then even data collection. A lot of small businesses struggle with having an email list, right? Like even just having a list of all of their customers. But the smart ones, the successful ones are constantly surveying their customers and asking basically what they can do better and how they can make their experience better. A lot of people think they need to be on social media. Yes, earn the popularity and credibility and what what's your feeling on that what's how do you know if you should really be wasting excuse me spending time <laughs> on social media right right well that's one of those questions that i've probably heard for 5 to 8 years like should i be on instagram should i be on twitter should i be on snapchat those really only the platform has changed the question has remained the same and how i respond to that is always with the same three questions is that who's your customer? What are they buying from you? And how are they finding you? How are they buying it from you? And really, if you can answer the questions in a way that lines up with that person being your target market, then yes, spend a little bit of time on Instagram. You know, some people make six figure businesses using Instagram, but for a lot of the companies that I work with, a lot of the small businesses that I work with are actually in kind of a local service industry. As a housekeeping service, it could make sense for them to show aspirational photos on Instagram with hashtags of of things that are aspirational. But if you are someone that owns a lawn care company, you're already up to your eyeballs in doing the business. Um, You need to focus more on Again, kind of asking questions of your customers and giving your customers what they need, as opposed to spending a ton of time on Facebook and Snapchat. I have not found a great use of Snapchat for business. Still, people still come in saying things like, well, my daughter says I need to be on Snapchat. Your daughter's not your customer. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And and bottom line, if you can't link to anything, what are you doing? Great, great photo. But if people can't immediately go to find you somewhere where they can actually make a decision about whether they're going to buy your stuff or not. (laughs) I just feel like Twitter's great for it. Facebook, you know, I interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk, who is a marketing guru. And of course, you know him. And he um, had a great tip for small business owners, which was Twitter could be 
it's not for everybody, but if you're going to have to pick one social media platform, Twitter's a great arena because it's really where conversations happen. And mm-hmm. it's a great place to kind of mine for people who are asking questions and need help. And so using keyword searches, if you are a florist in your, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, wherever you are, you know, searching for keywords like, you know, flower delivery or florist, local, Raleigh, and seeing are people asking questions online about where to shop or having issues with another florist. And that's where an opportunity you have to kind of provide service, provide help. And the idea is that you're really just there to be of service for a few you know, interactions until you, before you kind of go in with the punch, as he says, which is to, you know, say, hey, I've got, got flowers too, you know, mm-hmm. or come exactly. by for me. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, um, and that's something kind of along the same lines of what I was saying a little bit ago about asking your customers questions. That's a great way. What you just described on Twitter is a great way to ask people that maybe aren't your customers yet, but you can see what other people are doing. And you can see, like you said, those search terms that are coming up, utilizing it for market research is a great idea. What I see a lot of small business owners trying to do is having 17 different shiny objects um, that they're trying to, to move forward at all times. And you want to mention have some tools that are free for anyone listening who is in the process of trying to streamline and get clarity and create a plan for 2020 as far as, you know, your next best steps for your business. Tell us about how we can tap into those resources. Yeah. So um, we have a link. It's ampednow.com slash podcast that we have our top three resources that are our most popular resources that um, we'll give you guys for free. It's the Amped Guide to Getting Found Online, the Amped Guide to Starting with Google Ads, and the Amped Guide to Setting Up a Business, I think. 10 Steps from Ideas to Operational. And we'll make sure to put that link on the website for everybody to access. So I read that you chose um, not to pursue an MBA, uh, which I'm sure was not an easy choice, given that there was probably some pressure or some expectation that that was going to be your path. And instead, you invested in some other types of educational resources. So what's the so money story behind that? Yeah, so I love to learn. And in my case, my undergraduate degree and my graduate degree had very little to do with each other. And so rather than make the investment after, after just graduating from grad school, getting a master's degree in communications and media production, I, I did. I, in my corporate role, I felt like I needed to um, have an MBA to be able to move myself forward. But the, the gaps that I was seeing looked like gaps I could fill with online resources, with um, books. So for instance, I read books like 10 Day MBA. I did online courses in finance, behavior economics, game theory, those sorts of things. And then I did also some hands-on learning like getting started with QuickBooks. I think I did 15 or 20 hours of of QuickBooks. Um, Things like that that really on the, you know, the top end, the broad level of the the finance and um, marketing and ethics and those sorts of things. It was a lot of fun and it was a lot of information, but for me, it helped bridge those gaps, both at a high level and a kind of more granular level. Yeah. Because if the plan was to go work for yourself, uh, you're in charge of your own promotion. <laughs> so whether right. you have the MBA or not, and where were you get, getting these resources? What do you recommend as far as some good, you know, as you mentioned, like QuickBook courses and other kinds of learnings? 
So lynda.com is what I used for the really granular kinds of courses like QuickBooks and um, some web design and some different things like that. And then um, there were also these, there was access, and I think they're still available now on edX.com, edX.com, that you can, I think they call it auditing. You can audit courses from Yale, Cornell, Harvard, all of these elite universities, and you can listen to their full lectures and have access to their full, like downloadable resources and all sorts of things that people are paying to be in the room and, and whatnot, um, at school for, but as just a lay person, you can go to edX.com and have access to a ton of different classes. You don't get credit for it, but you can learn the material. Hmm. And that's Linda. I know my dad used Linda a lot when he was transitioning from one job to the next. Uh, L-Y-N-D-A. Lots of great Correct. material. Correct. And I believe LinkedIn has purchased it in the last yes. Yes. two. Correct. So, yes. Okay. So you touched a little bit on your upbringing as the daughter of some entrepreneurs and uh, coming from a lineage of entrepreneurs. What was the, would you say was a, a memory growing up that really captured kind of one of one of your first memories of money, one of your first experiences that was pretty impactful related to money or or business even. Sure. So money was always tight. Um, we were always kind of real estate rich. Um, we had assets in the millions of dollars always, like land land rich but cash poor. Um, my dad's life work has been putting together all the pieces of our family ranch. And it's a really cool legacy. It's been a lifelong project, as I'm sure people can imagine. Um, My brothers and I are the fifth generation, actually, to have lived on the ranch. And we're the only family that's ever owned the land other than the federal government. So I I, I basically had a front row seat to this growing up. Um, So central to my upbringing was this driving passion that my dad had. And he made... He and my mom, my parents routinely made sacrifices to make things happen because this was their dream. Their dream was to put together, to put back together this 2,500 acre ranch that, you know, his great, great grandfather had founded years ago. And it was something that it was always a lot of hard work, but I could tell that it was always worth it in my dad's eyes because he would tell me consistently that when he goes to the largest hill at the center of the ranch and when he looks around, everything he can see is his. He owns it and he feels like the king of the world. And so that instilled a work ethic in me that while while the ranch isn't you know, my, my thing. Um, I did, I did want that feeling and I saw what it took to have it. And I saw how worth it while it was to pursue. Is, uh, is it still in the family? Is it getting passed down? It is. Yes. Mm -hmm. My, my brother and his wife are the fifth generation ranchers live at the ranch house. They are. And so you mentioned being cash poor, were there any negative impacts of that? Yeah, I mean, there's always there. There was always something, both financially and uh, time constraints, um, time oriented, that were were vying for my dad's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all made sacrifices for it, but it was it was something that 
it was bigger than us, right? Like it was a, a story that a lot of people can't say. Um, and so, you know, we weren't always super excited about not having a ton of money and, and not going on awesome vacations like, like our friends did. But it was something that in the grand scheme of things, it's really cool to be able to tell my kids and my brother's kids, you know, you guys are the sixth generation that has, has operated this ranch. Wow. Well, that's, that's quite the legacy. So as we look ahead to 2020, Shanna, and this question actually comes from our sponsor, Chase, what's your number one money resolution for, for the new year? Do you even set resolutions? I set goals. I rarely call them resolutions just because I'm always tempted to uh, you know, let them go by the wayside if it's a resolution. But one of our main goals this year is we are setting aside a certain amount of savings to build onto our house. Uh, we live in a 100-year-old house. We've been renovating it for the last five years. Um, we want to build onto it. And um, so we want a certain amount of money in the bank. Uh, I, it's a resolution because it would be really easy just to go refinance mm -hmm. and pull some of that equity out that we've built up. But um, having been a young professional in the recession, I see how quickly things, I, I saw how quickly things can change. And so I hesitate to, to do that. So saving is our big number one priority this year. From the outside in, it, it seems as though you are living your dream. Um, the dream being like to be your own boss. You have a family, you have two daughters. This question is really keeping in mind listeners who maybe this is the year they want to make the transition from working for someone else to working for themselves because, and I would agree, it does buy you a lot of flexibility, especially if you have a family and you have other things you want to do in your life. And so tell us a little bit about how you've manage that transition? Because I can imagine that now maybe you've sort of figured a lot of things out. You have systems financially, at least. How did you manage? Yes, it was scary. Um, what I had done is I had gotten a promotion about a year or two before I left the company. And what I'd done, because I was thinking ultimately I would like to have my own business, is when I got that promotion and I got that bump in pay, I put the difference in savings. And so I was, like you said, buying myself some freedom, buying myself some options. And so for two years, I put every penny that was basically the difference between um, my promotion and my previous salary into savings so that when I did decide it was time to move on, I had, I think, 30000 in the bank in savings that bought me a little bit of time while mm -hmm. I figured out my next step. And personally, what's the biggest benefit to being your own business owner? Flexibility, for sure. I have two kids. I have a seven-year-old a seven and 11-year-old. And it's, they're always getting sick. They're always, you know, they always need something. And it's very difficult, uh, with, especially with my personality. I try to, you know, I, I tend to give what I've got, everything I have um, when I'm going for something. And so it's really difficult for me to be able to be somewhere for 70 hours a week, but also be fully present with my kids when I'm with them. And, mm -hmm. and my kids are a huge priority. Yeah, the biggest priority. The Absolutely. Only, right? I mean, the only priority. Yeah. Right. 
Okay. And last but not least, let's have you answer this question. I'm going to start doing this more on uh, on the show in 2020. I used to do it a lot and then I kind of stopped. I don't know why, but here we go. Fill in the blank. I'm Shanna Goodman. I'm so money because... I'm Shanna Goodman. I'm so money because I can't help but think big. Yes. Can't <laughs> help but think big. Go big or go home, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And whatever that means for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Looks like looks different for everybody. Um, yes. Big is relative. Shanna Goodman, thank you so much for joining us and wishing you and your business and your family continued success in 2020. Thank you so much. To download Shanna's most popular resources for free, go to ampdnow.com slash podcast. A-M-P-D, that's ampednow.com slash podcast. I'll include this also over at somoneypodcast.com on the episode page. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions for our Friday episodes. Things not to ask me on the Friday episodes because we've answered them a lot on the show. And some listeners are getting a little upset with me. (laughs) How many times are you going to tell people to max out their 401ks, Farnoosh? I get it. We're at a thousand episodes here. So bear with me. But I really count on you for these questions, right? So if you have nuanced questions, if you've got like sticky money situations, if you've got things that you can't just Google to figure out, you can't just, you know, go on Investopedia and get the answer. I want to be the solution for you. I want to provide some answers. I love getting into sort of the thick of things. So don't be shy. Ask me complicated, complex questions that maybe don't even have anything to do with numbers and, you know, Excel spreadsheets or definitions of things. Um, Talk to me about, you know, what to say to your cheap boyfriend or to your mother-in-law who's insisting that you, you know, come to her turf for the holidays and you don't want to spend the money. I don't know. Just thinking off the top of my head. Just wanting to know, no question is too personal and we can keep you anonymous. That's somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh or you can go to Instagram. Follow me there at Farnoosh Tarabi and leave me your question through direct message. Okay, thanks for tuning in everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.